From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. This is part two with Levi Bayer, strategy to support racial justice in your business. We have done part one. So if you're listening to this and you have not listened to part one, stop listening to this episode and go back and listen to part one of this. Uh, So that way you have context for not only what we're talking about, but who Levi is and, and, and the conversation that's led to this point. So Levi, in part one, we talked at length about just kind of like the buildup of frustration um, within the black community, um, sort of the reasons behind why there may have been this much of a reaction now and, and why at this moment in time is it happening. We talked about it in the larger context of, uh, to an extent, in the larger context of modern history. Um, and we also talked about some ways at a personal level, um, people can start doing the work to reflect, to educate, um, and to, I think, you know, unlearn a lot of, perhaps, you know, perhaps learned, whether intentionally or unintentionally learned, like racist, you know, behaviors or mindsets. So now let's talk about the business side, right? Because a lot of people listen to this show are entrepreneurs, they're business leaders, they are executives at their company. Um, they're even, you know, like reps at their company. So, so now let's talk about what we can do on the business side of things, because a lot of the people who listen to the show are entrepreneurs. They are, they're, they're the CEO, they're the business leaders, they're the executives, all the way down to even like, you know, like the sales rep level. But um, this show is a business podcast. So let's get to that aspect of this conversation. Um, you mentioned on the personal side in part one, this need to like, not just have like the knee jerk reaction and like the, um, okay, I'm not going to educate myself, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw up this whatever post online. So what's like, what's the business version of a knee jerk reaction? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listeners of this show probably, see or know of their their own versions of that but you know it is the reactionary statement or reactionary image or just jumping on bandwagons whether marketing bandwagons or social change bandwagons so just like we talked about last episode of people doing the work to intentionally understand their um you know their place in a movement like if you're interested in being a part of this movement right now uh for more racial equity and for better uh, relationships between like police and communities of color, 
read books, ask people, do the research, attend webinars, like that's personal stuff. So our, our organization's doing the same version of that. Um, our organization's looking at their strategic plan and thinking about how it's going to involve um, uh, effective partnerships with different communities that they haven't worked with before. Um, are they looking at their DEI, um, DEI statements and strategies? Are, do they have staff in those? Do they have a, a division for that or, is, or a person? Do they have staff. Is that supported? Is there budget behind that? So like knee-jerk is just uh, an executive sitting alone writing a statement to say, we're trying to do the right thing. Um, Non-knee-jerk is, wow, we've got to fold this into our work and it's got to be normal. I think a lot of businesses were catching flack though for saying nothing. And then, so there was almost this like shaming into saying something, which I think everyone should have ha should have said something. Um, it doesn't mean it ends there, but I think people should have said something. Do you agree with that? I mean, I don't know if they should have been shamed into it. In my, in my opinion, it's more like yeah. there's something deeper fundamentally wrong. If you didn't have an inherent like reaction to what you were seeing. Again, I think cancel culture is dangerous. We said this in the first episode. I think cancel culture is dangerous because it doesn't, it doesn't give people the authentic space to learn and grow and give and receive feedback. So cancel culture, cancel culture makes it so that uh, if you do or don't do something, you're just like, you know, you lose all your uh, stand hold in the market or whatever. Um, so should people have said something? It's like, it's like I want people to say something because they believe it, not because their competitors are saying something. Mm. So I, I just have a hard time like answering that question, yes or no, because it's like, do I want everyone to say something? I want everyone to do it without having to be prompted. And we, we, we're not there. We're honestly, we're just not there yet. So it, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I mean, that's what, you know, a, a business leader texted me the other day and was like, Hey, we're trying to do everything we can. Like, is there anything else that you think we should be doing? And I said, you know, I, I gave a couple of suggestions, but I led with what's like, first off, do this because you believe it's right. Not because you feel the internet guilting you into doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing, we're seeing, we're seeing people call this out. I'm, I'm seeing people call this out on LinkedIn. They're saying, I, I, that's great that you're posting a statement, but I'm more interested in seeing what your board of directors looks like. Yeah. I'm more interested, more interested in seeing what your diversity statement was before this and will be now. Because again, I'm not going to cancel you because you didn't have it where it should be before. But if you want to step into that accountability as an organization and say, we're committed to this, that means putting dollars behind it. I know I'm jumping ahead to solutions, but that means putting dollars behind your internal and external work that's going to actually make a difference. Let's talk first about the internal work. Um, and then we can go to the external. So the, the mm -hmm. internal work, like you mentioned before. And I think one thing real quick, I think we should give the background that um, my background and how we met each other is in uh, the consulting world. So why I would feel comfortable saying anything about internal work of organizations whatsoever is that I actually studied and was a practicing organizational development consultant. So I have a master's degree in organizational communication from DePaul. And so this is actually an area that I do feel pretty comfortable saying, here's where organizations can work in general to be more uh, accepting and inclusive and uh, better. Well, practice. not only that, but you also currently work to dismant help dismantle systemic racism inside of companies. So 
I think you're incredibly qualified to be giving these opinions and this advice. And I'm not saying, I truly am not saying that to brush my shoulder. I'm saying that because I think that all of us would think about how we're, again, I said this before in episode one, how are we showing up? And this is an area where I can show up. There's other areas where I know that I can't. So I try not to, again, speak to stuff I don't know. I try to speak to the stuff I do know. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the internal work. Earlier you had said, I don't know if it was this episode or the part one episode, but um, Starbucks doing like a day off for learning how to be better. Half day, sorry, half day training for how to be better, which they did, I don't know, one, two years ago when they had the incidents where um, their employees called the cops on a couple of black people who just happened to be hanging out inside of a coffee shop, which is a place where people hang out. Tell me first, why do you think something like that for a, a, a global organization that has, that has people from all walks of life who work for it, how do you think that comes to be like their initial solution? And why is that not enough? Yeah, I mean, we don't know what to do. None of us really know what to do, right? And so, like, when you look left and right, and you look around what the market offers, the market offers DE&I trainings, diversity trainings. So, um, that's that's some that's a hot area. It has been a hot area for the last couple of years, and it should be. It should be a hot topic that people are talking about. Um, before the position I have now, I gave a, I, I was giving trainings on how to think about language and communication and race in the workplace and stuff like that. So I was doing that work and people should still do that work, but it's just not enough. So why do we look to that first? Because it's what's available. It feels like, an, it feels like a step that we can do. So I, again, I'm not, I don't want to cancel or shame anybody because they did a DE and I training. You should, that should be part of a broader strategy. That should be one facet of how does your organization and the individuals in it take a honest look at their own practices, beliefs and biases, and changing bias is not an overnight thing. So that just has to be a part of a bigger, uh, broader strategy. At the employee level, what are some things that leadership can do to encourage dialogue within a company because i think there's a lot of ways that dialogue can happen that can go horribly wrong (laughs) yeah um so the obvious one that already happens is ergs right employee resource groups so big companies have these affinity spaces or resource groups for black employees queer employees you know different different walks of life um that one's i'm not saying anything new there for probably people listening to this podcast just this is the most basic thing, really ask people, how are you doing and what do you need right now? What, kind, what does support look like for you right now? Um, especially in this moment, are employees honestly giving their folks space to process right now? I had a call last night, one of the stories that came out of the, uh, we do weekly community care calls at my job where we bring our community together, just process together. Somebody said, Somebody who is black said, our employee, our, our job said, take a step back if you need it. She's like, great, I do. And then they said, can you also review our, our diversity statement and give us feedback on it? The, the part that's left out of that sentence, because you're black. And it's like, well, do you need me to step <laughs> up and do, 
do you need me to step up and do extra work, or can I take a step back and just watch some Netflix because I'm watching dramatic Like, which one? Which one is it? So, uh, organization saying, "Hey, what would serve you best right now? Would would a day off serve you best right now to get involved in protests and donate and do this stuff and know that your job is secure, or would stepping up?" And stepping into some activism roles, in, do you want to lead? Do you want to? Should we start an ERG if we don't have one yet? Would you like to lead that? Um, would you like to be a part of our community, our like internal accountability council that's going to be made up of all different people that's going to work side by side leadership and workers from the mailroom on up? Like, you know, asking people what, not just saying, "Hey, you're black, so you're assigned to the new project." Ask people where they're at. Ask people what they need, and then follow through. Like, again, if you have to adjust your budget and put money towards people getting paid to do nothing because they're experiencing trauma in their personal life, that might be a shift that that organization can do to support that individual so they can come back and, and continue to support that organization. That's a tough thing to look at when you're looking at your books, but that's, that's, an, that's one example of a way that an organization can ask, listen, and then act on it. A couple of things I want to say to that. Um, number one is last night before I went to bed, I was just like typing out some stuff that is turning into like a swipe guide for social media of like mm -hmm. resources, exercises people can do. And one of them was if you're a business owner, do like, does your staff know it is okay? Like, like that being physically ill or taking vacation aren't the only reasons to take time off. Do they know it's okay to take time off because they might need to process something that's happened in their community? Because you cannot assume, even if it is okay, you cannot assume they know it's okay to come to you with that reason. Because mm -hmm. it's, I would say in most places, most people would just assume like, you got to work. If you, as long as you can physically work, you got to work. Or uh, unless you're on a beach, like those are the only two reasons that, you know. The unfortunate thing is that um, some spaces have the privilege of talking about adjusting resources, shifting budgets, taking time off, stepping up, stepping back. But we're, we're talking about this sphere of work that, that you and I kind of inhibit, this white collar, working remote. We were easy to shift remote because we were already working out of co-working spaces, working remote, doing that thing. I just want to point out that a lot of, pe a lot of people don't have that privilege. So like, hey, do you need time off? To no, I drive the bus and I get paid by the hour or I get, you know, like, or I do, I whatever, work in whatever uh, labor job that are predominantly occupied by people of color most of the time. Or if we're talking like undocumented communities where it's like work or don't make money, like it's just a one-to-one. -one. Or for us entrepreneurs, I mean, for this audience, like you and I have been entrepreneurs, we know that if I don't put in the effort, I don't get the return. Mm -hmm. And so whether we're talking about like a lot of privilege or less privilege, it's just a different scenario. Like, can I adjust? It's not, the, it's not those people's fault. It's not, it's not even our fault as entrepreneurs. I mean, I think again, starting on business is kind of a privilege, but it's not people's faults when that business or that system doesn't have the leverage to support them. We have not, as, as a, like, this is kind of me on my soapbox now, we as a society have kind of failed these individuals to say, where, we've, we haven't as a society said, where are you at and what do you need? And they would go, a job that pays me enough to live and allows me flexible to step back when needed. We have not done that. No. <laughs> um, 
So is it possible, like, is it at all possible to have some version of that if it's, you know, like, 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 for example. Sorry for getting on my, sorry for getting a little sidetracked there. Don't apologize, don't apologize. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, For example, let's say, let's say it's a company that's been greatly affected by the pandemic. Um, You know, it could even be like, could even be a tech company, right? There are plenty of tech companies who have been like decimated. Totally. And they kind of need everyone like every day. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any version of that that they can introduce of like the, hey, if you need to take a step back, take a step back? Yeah. And I, I, I have been and I'm a business owner. I understand and I've worked for myself. Uh, I've had employees. I've managed employees when it's not when I'm not the owner. It's like honestly, how are you supposed to do that when like you're looking at the bottom line, right? Like that's tough. It's it's really tough. Um, but it's just like at what cost are we gonna look? Are we gonna uphold the bottom line as the the grounding? Why is the bottom line the grounding factor? You know, I mean, it is because maybe you're saying, well, this business will shut down if we don't. Z, but we could also say these these people will shut down if we don't do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> so it's just like we have to really still look at these human beings that are involved. Human beings are more than just resources. It's not like you know that's why you see like kind of progressive businesses renaming the human resources department to other terms because like even that is kind of this transactional relationship of like give us your time, we'll give you money. And I like that's what I love about co-working. So I own a co-working space. We're in a co-working space. And that's what I love about co-working is that because you don't work for the space you're sitting in, uh, I think a good, vibrant co-working space can say, actually, you're more than just a nine-to-five worker. You're also a runner or a mom mm-hmm. or you're in the LGBTQ community. Like, there's other stuff about you that we can celebrate here. And... I guess what I'm saying is I don't have the exact answer of how that the person whose job it is to look at the budget lines and decide time off or work more. I I don't know how to make that decision. What I do know is that we could all be taking some examination of how do we see our employees for who they are, what race they are in this context, what they're experiencing, just how do we do that and how do we meet them where they're at? Because that's, what equity is, that's a difference between equity and equality. Equality is everyone gets the same PTO, everyone gets the same time off, everyone gets the same transportation uh, stipend. Equity is your situation is different and you need something different and we can accommodate that. So that's where you start to get to equity is we don't just give everyone a gas stipend. Not everyone drives cars. So how do we meet people where they're at? Some people are experiencing more trauma right now. How do we meet them where they're at? Just asking yourself those questions. Mm-hmm. And I guess even as I, uh, as soon as I asked that question of, of, can they, you know, the example of decimated software company, like what if they can't afford to give people space? But the reality is, <laughs> even if for the company that's decimated, um, or in most cases anyway, did you let your employee take Good Friday off? Any employee, did you let them take Good Friday off? Right? Did you let them take off the Monday after Easter? Or did you let them, are you letting them take off a day anyways? Like, because they still have their vacation days? Like, it's clearly like, 
there's stuff built in to allow people time off in a lot of cases. So it's just like adding mm-hmm. like mental health days more or less into the equation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So at a, a after the, the idea of give people space to process, how can, how can healthy discussions be had and who should be leading those discussions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Ooh, so healthy discussions should, first of all, not be forced upon anyone. Um, you should not often force people into that space. And so there's different strategies here. Um, sometimes full group discussions for sharing is great. Sometimes affinity group discussions are the best way to go about this. So sometimes the first step of that healthy discussion is to have a black caucus or a Latinx caucus or a white caucus, which means all of the folks of that race in a room together with a facilitator who is trained to lead that group through a self-examination and a group examination. That's a great first step for showing up in the broader space with intention with, I would say this is, we're doing our research then, which self-examination is part of that and community examination. So you know, that's not going to be the prescription for everybody. Um, there's things called racial healing circles. Racial healing circles are where groups sit together and are with a highly trained facilitator able to talk about what their experiences are in the world based on race and bring that out and be like, oh, we're different. There's things like privilege walks that have more uh, attention. Don't do a privilege walk unless your organization is ready for that privilege walk. Please don't just jump into that. Again, there is pre-work to be done for some of this stuff. So, you know, it's finding a trained professional to figure out where we, often we talk about where you are now in my hands. I'm like doing like a training thing. I got to remember. Figure out where you are on your journey as an organization and figure out what is needed to, what's the intervention needed at that place. You might have like a quote, super woke organization full of super woke people. And maybe you can start a little bit farther along. But many organizations are not yet in that sort of spot and would benefit from some honest engagement and pre-work for, uh, for folks. And sorry, one more thing about this. I know sometimes I go a little long, but one more thing about this is that um, – you might have folks that's, that are not either like their journey is that they're like rejecting that there's a problem, rejecting that that organization has, well, I'm fine. Why is it? Why are they having an issue? I've worked here for 20 years. I don't need to blah, blah, blah. So I'm kind of like playing up, you know, maybe that older, sure. maybe, maybe it's that older white man who's a little, you know, there's kind of this archetype out there of like this stubborn individual. Um, companies should figure out, you know, how to support that individual and their growth. But companies, again, have to figure out where are our values and where do we stand? And they might have to make some tough decisions eventually, eventually. But working together to say, what is our statement and strategy for diversity, inclusion, and equity? And then what is moving towards that look like? And what is the process for bringing people along with us? And then what is our remedy? Yeah, what's our remedy? for our employees and partners that aren't moving along with us at that pace. Plan that all out, work with a professional, strategize that so that you don't get there where somebody goes, I'm not going to that damn meeting. 
be ready for that moment and be ready for that conversation so that you know how to support that individual who's probably valuable to your organization. That's why they've been there for so long. So you don't want to lose them right away. And that, that makes sense. But again, what are we holding up as this, as the ideal? Are we holding stubborn people as the pillars to work around? Or are we holding mm. human rights as the human, as the pillar to work around? If human rights is the pillar that we're working around, those people are going to need to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Part of that work is, you know, you and I have talked about sort of there's a newer term that's come about in the last year or two where of not, not safe spaces, but mm-hmm. brave spaces. Mm-hmm. Can you educate the listeners on the difference between the two and, and how to create a brave space? Yeah. Um, sometimes these, uh, conversations or these moments in organizations get criticized because they attempt to be safe spaces. And this is where we've heard phrases like snowflake, you know, fragile snowflakes and stuff has arisen in these conversations where we can't step on anybody's toes. We can't, we have to always be politically correct. We can't make a mistake. We can't say the wrong word. Um, we And mostly just a safe space is we can't offend anyone ever. Well, keeping in mind that in episode one, we said very clearly, it's not the burden of people of color to do all the lifting or even the first step of the lifting to educate the world on what racial equity and justice can look like. How do we still create a space for all people to step into this conversation knowing that it's going to be messy, knowing that we're going to make mistakes? knowing that we're not going to cancel those who make mistakes at least the first time and unintentionally (laughs) if people are intentionally making mistakes over and over again uh, you might want to cancel but um but so getting back to how do we make this space that we know is going to be messy but we know is going to be making progress and one way you can do that is by certainly having a trained facilitator And that facilitator will most likely offer some sort of what we use in our work, community agreements or just norms. Mm -hmm. When we're about to go in a conversation, what are the norms for this conversation? What are the agreements? And you uh, often a, a facilitator will present some and then allow the group to work with them and settle on a list of agreements before the conversation starts. And these conversation, these agreements, these norms can be things like, we all are coming on some level of uncertainty. Let's acknowledge that. We all hold power and expertise in our lived experience. So the CEO has expertise, but that person of any other level of the company, their lived experience also holds power and, and wisdom. Things like that. You can say, um, uh, own, own your impact. Or we say, assume good intent, but own your impact. So assume that if somebody says something offensive to you, assume first assume that they're not trying to be offensive. But then secondly, for that person, if you said the offensive thing, own your impact. Yep. Own and say like, oh, I wasn't trying to offend you, but I understand that it did offend you. And I did that. And be able to sit in that. So basically you're just saying, this is going to be uncomfortable. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, do what we can. let's do what we can to support that. Let's continue forward anyway. So that's a brave space. It's working through the discomfort. 
and, and I've done some of that norm creation in my work with um, Flow Chicago, which is Future Leaders of Chicago, a high school mm-hmm. nonprofit organization I'm part of, uh, high school leadership nonprofit, I should say. Um, and I think that norm creation even, it's the things you said, but it even extends to like the small little like tactical ways of having conversation. Like for example, hey, a norm we're setting is that you have to let the person finish speaking before you can even raise your hand to speak next. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just like, your mind is cutting off yeah. what they're saying at the point at which you raise your hand because you already thought of your next thought. Yeah, um, absolutely. Also like, yeah, it can be procedural stuff like that. That's really good. I'm glad you pointed that out. So it can be like, do three women speak before one man speaks? Mm-hmm. These three people of color speak before one white person speaks. Like, you know, just just recentering because we talk a lot about centering the voices. Because again, if we're like building around uh, the needs and rights uh, of the folks that have been left out of the conversation before, we need to hear them. We need to listen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, often us men, we love to jump in and be like, well, I know, let me talk, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I know we've been talking about race most of this time, but like, you know, the intersection between all these things, like all these different ways we can yeah, show None of this is siloed. No, it's not siloed at all. Um, I think it's some other things too. And I'm bringing these up because I think it'll help people who are listening to think, okay, what if we wanted to try that, you know? Yeah, here. what can we actually do? Yeah. Um, other things too that I think are helpful are and you actually did it yourself in part one of this episode very early on in in kind of stating the norm for this conversation that you are not speaking on behalf of all of black america mm-hmm. <laughs> you're speaking about on behalf of your experience as a black american but mm-hmm. not you're not the voice of everyone and, and that i think is another important norm to set in those discussions mm-hmm. is one person is not responsible for representing every single person uh, in that, you know, of that group. Yeah, super important to set that one. It allows people to engage in the space more authentically. What else, I guess, comes to mind to you, um, or comes to mind for you related to not just brave spaces, but generally speaking, um, different strategies a company or tactics a company can implement to help support racial justice? in their society, but through their, using their company as a vehicle? Yeah, great question. Um, So one thing that organizations can do to support racial justice is to co-create, co-create, co-create with different communities. The reason why that's important is because part of our working definition of equity or part of a a definition of equity that gets used a lot is to shift power. We use this word shifting power a lot. Shift power to communities that have typically been left out of decision-making, left out of power conversations, and being left out of crafting the world, honestly, that works for them. So that's why we talked about that in um, episode one. We talked about relationships between communities, you know, having input to how they're governed. Um, so when we talk about businesses and like products and use and, and users, um, how do you work with your community to involve them in the creation of things that work for them? What do I mean by that? For example. Uh, this is a really rare, rare example, but it kind of uh, it kind of still sticks. Uh, no, 
the, the deep cut listeners may remember there was this thing called the Google Buzz. Shout out if you know, remember yeah. Google Buzz. <laughs> it was like three months of a news feed in your Gmail. And so it was kind of like pre-Facebook newsfeed, I think. And it was like they were putting like updates from your network, from your Gmail network, were showing up in your, at the bottom of your Gmail page. It didn't Yeah, it was, like, it was like you as a Gmail user could like have like a status update, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of went along with like as we had like chat. And it was just like a newsfeed of like updates of like where I am and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It didn't last very long. One of the reasons for that might be because, um, I believe this is a true story. And if it's not, it's just a good example anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, but I should do my research and put my money where my mouth is and do my research for this example. Um, a, a woman said that uh, Google Buzz told her, I think ex-husband, who she had a restraining order against where she was in real time. She shared, shared her location. This person who she had a restraining order against then was able to go locate her. That's a potentially life-threatening, dangerous situation, right? If, if, if at the least it's uncomfortable, at the worst, it's life threat. Um, what if Google had co-created with a variety of different people from a variety of different walks of life, and somebody in that room had the agency and the platform to say, location tracking automatically being turned on might not be the best feature for this new product. That product could have landed better and could have been safer and more inclusive for more people hmm. if they had involved more voices in the creation of that I don't know how that product was created. I'm just guessing that it was a fairly siloed discovery process and and development process. Um, Just based on what we know of like tech communities, and this was like 10 years ago, so um, before a lot of this work about like progress and and the tech spaces we talked about. So that's just an example of like, you can bring in other voices and as we talked about, that could be internal, external. So yeah, maybe you're thinking like a focus group or like a longer term. Focus group is too short term, honestly, for what I'm talking about. I'm talking about longer relationships with different partners. Mm-hmm. And or the best partners are your employees. How again are you diversifying and making a, a brave slash positive space for people of all different walks of life internally? So you just have that person already at the table and they not just at the table, but they already have the agency there so that they can say that's not the best idea and they're listened to and responded to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, go ahead. And one last thing. So if you're like, okay, but I don't have the employees, I don't have the room for like focus groups. I don't have like, again, budgets, time, all this stuff, just same, same uh, pin that we dropped in episode one. Where can you today, as an organization, start to build the longer-term relationships that mm-hmm. are going to broaden your horizon? Where are you building those relationships so that you're preemptively getting more people at your table? And, and I think that speaks to where do you source your talent pool from? Mm-hmm. Have you made this decision that you're, you only recruit from these schools, which are already have a skewed you know, population set? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best that? things I've heard, and this is probably four or five years ago now, um, hearing someone else speak, I'm blanking on his name, um, but he mentioned how unpaid internships are a privilege, right? There are plenty of qualified people who, because of their socioeconomic status, need to get paid for their work. Yeah. And they can't, you know, they simply cannot afford, even though it would advance their careers greatly 
at an early age, they cannot afford to work for free. So yeah. what can you do to, and, you know, you have to keep like cash flow in mind, but like if you're like a struggling or if you're an early stage company, but really look at like, what are the areas where you can spend? Are you spending somewhere like just for no reason right now? And could that money be freed up to pay an intern instead of just getting one for free? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or who, yeah. And if you don't have it in, so yes, unpaid internships cut out a certain group of the population uh, for being potential candidates. Mostly those are people of color. Um, if you don't have it in your budget to make that sort of swing, where are the partners, who can you partner with where you have something you can offer? Like maybe somebody who's like uh, adjacent to you in the business world and they have the budget to support that internship or something like that. Or like, how do you build that? Like the money's out there basically is what I'm saying. So can Chase Bank sponsor your next internship mm-hmm. program or something like that? So like, where's your partner to support this work? And on that point of the money being out there, you know what I found really, really interesting over the last couple of days is all these organizations who had to furlough or lay off people the last three months because they just didn't have the money anymore. All of a sudden they have $10,000 to donate to the ACLU or to Black Lives Matter or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, it, to me, it's just kind of, and, I, and good. They should be doing that if they have the means, but to me, it's just kind of like exposes like, well, what, what fabrication was being created in the first place that uh, you were just like, well, we don't have the money, but now we do have the money, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's just, it's just priorities. And, and again, that's a longer, tougher discussion. So again, I don't want to be too, I want to be like minimal critical of people that haven't done this work yet. And so now is a great time to begin reprioritizing your strategic goals to include equity and that means diversity and inclusion um but you know if you haven't prioritized this yet it's a it now is a great time to start adding it there's a plenty of examples of organizations that are doing it there's plenty of people you can hire now to help you do this um and uh you know if you haven't yet okay here's here's your opportunity yeah, I think the what's important is, as we said earlier, the motivation and the sort of prevailing wisdom here should be like pursuit of knowledge and justice, not guilt and shame. Because <laughs> if guilt and shame are your leading indicators, it's you know the work's not going to go very far. Or clicks and likes, I would say, is what we're often chasing. That as clicks well. and likes. Yeah. And you're, you're, trust me, you're going to get the clicks and likes and the sales through that authentic path. Like people want, people are hungry for this stuff. Human beings love justice. Just, I think it's just built into us. Like go for justice and people will follow along. Um, you don't have to clickbait people into thinking you're doing the right thing. Just do the right thing <laughs> and, and, and we'll, we'll support you. Yeah. Yeah. Levi, anything else that you think is important for the audience to know? Any final ideas or even just like, uh, or strategies or even just like words of wisdom? We've said a lot of stuff. Um, I don't have any more like quick pointers. I would just say, let, let's practice empathy and compassion, y'all, because for each other, um, We've talked a lot today about organizations 
in the first part one, we talked a lot about systems. All of these things are made up of human beings. It's just people working with other people every day, you know, in their best interest, and hopefully sometimes in the best interest of their um, communities around them. So we're all doing, you know, what we can to, to get through the day. And when we lead with empathy and compassion, it leaves space for seeing each other where we're at. And if we do that as individuals with our folks around us, that's how we might start changing our organizations. And those organizations are going to change the systems. Um, so just, yeah, what, how, how are you walking through the world today that you can take a look at what your walk is like and how it relates to others and what the walks of others might be, might be like. Where can our listeners, if they want to get in touch with you, where can they learn more about you and your platforms? That's a great question. Um, I've honestly been pulling back lately for my own self-care from mm -hmm. too much internet time. So uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way that I'll surely be there and see it at some point. So Levi Bear on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, check out what Chicago United for Equity is doing, chicagounitedforequity.org. That's the nonprofit I work for, and we're doing that system, systems change work. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, that the best exemplification of my work thus far is, of course, the co-working space, Second Shift. So please check out secondshiftchicago.com. Uh, and it's a great community where we're trying to lead with inclusion and recognition of people first uh, while we build towards our bottom line. So uh, happy to, to share those, those things with everyone. The way we end every episode on this show is by a final fill in the blank question. Now it's a little bit different because we just had a different question. We had a different uh, discussion altogether here, but maybe through the lens of what we have discussed, you can fill in this blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. I mean, given the context of what we talked about, like entrepreneurship is liberation. You know, entrepreneurship is, is a pathway for people to care for themselves and their communities, like creating the things that work for you and the folks around you and your family. Uh, that's really amazing. So I would love, I love to see that version of entrepreneurship, which is actually an act of care for you and your people an act of care for you and your people. And as Levi says, lead with compassion, lead with empathy. Levi, my man, thank you for agreeing to do this. I know it's not easy in the heat of everything right now to get on a microphone for not just one, but two episodes uh, and talk through this, but you did it very eloquently. Um, and I think you educated a lot of people in the process. So thank you. Thank you. I hope so. Um, you know, Critique, critique what I've said today, like, you know, the research includes not just listening to one person and saying, well, that's that, like, if this is a starting point for you as a listener, uh, fact check me, figure out what, where I was right and wrong and like dive in and like ask more people for more opinions because there's going to be different ones and, and just engage with this work. So thank you for helping me to pull this out because I was a little hesitant to even like kind of go on the record, but I appreciate um, the opportunity and I, 
I hope it just gives some folks a, a starting point to go further. He is Levi Bayer, the director of training at Chicago United for Equity, as well as the co-founder of Second Shift Co-working here in Chicago. That's all we've got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, just one final note I'll say is the work does not end here. Treat this as one of your starting points on further deep inner work and inquiry and you know activism that you can enact in your own communities and businesses. Take care, everybody. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.